When I came there, so in the US, I was doing a consultancy for Nissan. And so in Turkey, they have a very similar situation than here. They have about maybe 2% market share, and they're a bit in the, in the shade of some of the other also Japanese manufacturers. Most people still were spending most of their marketing dollars offline. They put most of that marketing dollars online and they didn't get any traction. So I analyzed with their data, is there any effect of Facebook engagement on test drive? That was not. <laughs> so I'm saying, well, either the message is wrong or the people that engage with you on Facebook are not in the market for cars. And so that helped us to, to dig deeper. Welcome to International Business Today, where we discuss the most critical issues in international business with top academic experts and thought leaders. I'm Paula Kelajuri, a professor in the International Business and Strategy Group at Northeastern University's DeMormakim School of Business, the sponsor of this podcast. Today, we have an exciting episode. We're talking about the latest trends in digital marketing, and we're very fortunate to have one of the world's leading experts to talk about it. Kuhn Powells. Kuhn is a distinguished professor of marketing here at Northeastern University, where he co-directs the Digital Analytics Technology and Automation, also known as the Data Initiative. Kuhn, welcome to International Business Today. Happy to be here. There is, it's such an exciting topic, right? Digital marketing. There's so much going on now with AI and technology changes. What's, what are some of the latest trends in digital marketing? Well, one of the latest trends uh, happened to be connected TV and uh, also retail media. And so that's my focus in, uh, in this year. I do want to go back, though, and, and basically say that digital marketing is a part of marketing. And, and that's the field I fell in love with, actually, on an international exchange in Ireland uh, now in, in 1993. And the fundamentals of human behavior hasn't changed. So marketers still want to truly understand their customer. They want to, uh, to reach the customer when and, and how the consumer wants to be reached. They want to develop products that address the pain points and, and the possibilities. Digital marketing is different because it has given us as marketers, but also consumers, so many different ways to, to get informed about products, to figure out what the brand community is like, to read reviews. Uh, and to be very much uh, in touch, not just with, with brands and products, but specifically with the other consumers. And digital marketer, uh, marketers uh, have to amplify this and to, uh, and to ensure that their voice is heard in, in this marketplace. Really interesting. So, so it's really the fundamentals of marketing, but taken into the, a, a digital, digital space. But, but what are some of the, the changes or the trends that you're seeing? What's coming next? Okay, so I'll give you one example of retail media that I'm very much involved with. So when you go into an offline store, uh, as a consumer, you may not realize that everything on the shelf is optimized for the retailer. Some of you may complain, why do I have to go all the way to the back to find the milk? Well, that's, that's intentional. The retailer wants you to walk by other places, maybe get interested in other products. Uh, the retailer is also paid by manufacturers to see what's on, on your eye level on the shelf, for instance. You know, what is in your checkout counter? Uh, online, that is just way more structured and more transparent. So uh, a lot of retailers have now said, well, the margins are very thin. Uh, we, can, uh, we can basically guide our customers towards, um, towards uh, certain information. Uh, and let's make this all digital. So in digital marketing, uh, in retail, we see that there's a sponsor choice, for instance, and that also manufacturers can use not just at the what we call the end of the funnel when you're about to make a purchase, but also to get awareness and consideration of brands. Um, 
So that's that's one key area. Oh, really? Could you tell us more, share an example of that? Because that's such a fascinating area. So, uh, so, so, so the, uh, the, the website where most U.S. consumers start their product search is Amazon. Mm -hmm. And so Amazon uh, advertising have, has been starting really what, what they call sponsored products. So when your consumer browsing through the, the, the virtual aisle uh, of coffee, which coffee brands do you see? Uh, they have then kind of went up funnel towards um, sponsored brands that you can showcase your whole brand uh, with several products with the style that your brand wants. And then going to, for instance, Connected TV, where you can really uh, get awareness for, for your new products. And so that whole full funnel is now available uh, online. So I think it was Ogilvy who said, you can never build a brand online, you have to go offline. And I think that's not no longer true. There's so many wonderful brands that that are, you know, digital natives and have also grew, uh, they also grew through digital marketing using some of these, uh, these newer tools. That's really, that's really so mm. fascinating. Are, so is digital marketing right now, is there different trends in different industries? Are you seeing or different trends for different product types? Uh, they, they are. So there's, you know, so, so from the very beginning, and so I did my PhD in the 90s in, in UCLA when the first internet hype was really coming on. And so from the beginning, you see the difference between things that you can actually also get online versus not. So if we're talking about information, music, uh, things that are visual that you can right away download, the marketing for those kind of products is going to be different because you can really purchase and, and, and enjoy them right away online. Uh, digital marketing has also been very successful for products that, uh, that you may just search for online and then buy in a physical store or have delivered to you. And so a lot of the excitement now, I mean, with, with the pandemic, we had, for instance, online grocery that really came up. Uh, one of my research projects, we showed that across the whole world, it was the people over 65 years old that before were more reluctant to, to, to be online, to get exposed to digital marketing also, that are now have learned that they can do it, thanks to, thanks to uh, you know, having to do it, and that are now seeing the benefits of that over, you know, having to leave the house, you know, getting in transportation, finding parking. So we see that, uh, that those products and services that are also delivered online always have kind of a strong um, presence in digital marketing, but we're seeing much more now for products where online is just part of the search experience and that a lot of consumers also go to, to offline stores or, or connect with, with, with offline friends to, uh, to, to, uh, to talk about it. That's right. That's right. So mm -hmm. do you have an example of that? A, co a client or a company? Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll give you two examples. I, I'll give you one poor example and one good example. Uh, going back to, and this is now literally the year 1998, but that tells you how much uh, distribution has changed. Uh, so we were interested in the Palm Pilot. For those of you <laughs> oh, younger sure. in the audience, remember. if you remember that one. So, so we saw our MBA and it's students. It's a language, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so this was before you had, you know, uh, smartphones and so forth. This was something really cool that people whipped out and, and could do things with. And so uh, at that moment, I was doubting between the three and the five, you know, again in 1998. And one of them had more functionality, but was heavier than the other one. And even then, I did all my search online. I compared prices. I compared what people said about it. There were these online communities. The only thing I couldn't do online was to weigh them in my hand and in my pocket. And so I went to then Circuit City, and I said, hey, you know, you have the display here I saw online. Can I weigh them? And the salesperson was like, yeah, but these are just the plastic replicas. They're not the real thing. 
And so I left the store saying, well, you guys are on your way out because the one thing that I still need you for offline, you couldn't do. And they were bankrupt a few years later. Sure. But so, so that's an example of, of, uh, of a poor like integration. Um, that's a but, great example, yeah. though, isn't it? Yeah. It's just such a great example because the one thing that they could still do well is the touch and yeah. the feel of the product. And they fell down on that one. Yeah. So, so, so one of the newer examples, so, so we are, you know, one of the exciting things uh, right now, so, so I'm, I'm working with Amazon, which has Thursday Night Football. And so we are seeing a lot of products there, you know, being digitally advertised that you can buy on Amazon.com. So there's a lot of uh, of awareness, uh, a lot of engagement with people also there that are just kind of uh, it's it's a nice audience to reach uh, if if your audience of you as a digital uh, marketer overlaps with the the people walking Thursday night football. I happen to have to do it because I get into our uh, Northeastern Fantasy Football <laughs> League. <laughs> they, they got me into it. And so um, I actually won my very first year, purely luck. Are <laughs> you an not, American football fan? Uh, well, it, Partly, right? But I know <laughs> a lot now. less than the other, but I make it really easy. And so, and so I, I was watching because of the games, but also because I got interested in the players. And so that was just a very nice way to then, uh, as a digital marketer, right, get, get to audiences that, that otherwise you wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't be able to reach with, uh, with other means. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. I remember years ago at, at uh, my former university, the marketing faculty used to have a party at every Super Bowl, and we would sit around and watch the commercials. Exactly, that, that is like, the major uh, part of. I, I would say this year the Super Bowl, the the game was was uh, for the first time I think more interesting than the, the commercials. The commercials. <laughs> they were all so 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 cool. Yeah. Oh, Kuntals, are yeah. you also seeing? trends and maybe maybe yes maybe mm. no but trends that are different um in digital marketing across countries oh definitely oh, really? uh, and i'll give you an example right so uh so i'm originally from belgium uh, moved to the states um, um loved new england so my first uh, job where i got tenure was dartmouth the tech school of business and then i left for istanbul in turkey um, actually, you know, the way I learned how to drive in Istanbul is really helping me here in Boston. <laughs> so there's some, some similarities there. But, but when I came there, so in the U.S., I was doing a consultancy for Nissan. And so in Turkey, they have a very similar situation than here. They have about maybe 2% market share, and they're a bit in the, in the shade of some of the other also Japanese manufacturers. So when I came to Turkey 2008, uh, Turkey was the third biggest Facebook country in the world. They had you know, the third highest after the US and the UK, the number of accounts. And so Nissan was very proud, even though they only had 2% market share. They had, the I think, the number two automobile Facebook page and had so much engagement and so forth. The only problem was that uh, they didn't get any more sales. <laughs> so they said, look, we follow the advice of digital marketers, right? We follow our consumers. So in a time where most people still were spending most of their marketing dollars offline, they put most of that marketing dollars online and they didn't get any traction. And so I sat them down and I said, well, what is the one most important thing that you need to get people to buy a car? And I said, test drives. By the way, so I'm an engineer by training, so oh, I look okay. at anything as input, throughput, output. So I'm like, you do stuff with your digital marketing. You want a certain results like donations or sales, but what can we measure in between? And they said test drives, if we get people in a test drive. So I analyzed with their data, is there any effect of Facebook engagement on test drive that was none? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm saying, well, either the message is wrong or the people that engage with you on Facebook are not in the market for cars. And so that helped us to, to dig deeper. And so I felt that 
that was really interesting. Um, and, and so my first book, you know, in that time was called It's Not the Size of the Data, It's How You Use It. <laughs> because Great I, title. Thought, yeah, I thought that the thinking was much more important than using big data. I think most companies, and this is all the three continents that I consulted for, they don't really make good use of the small data they already have. And a lot of that has to do with organizational barriers. Um, so my book this year is, is Break the Wall, How to Democratize uh, Digital in Your Business. And there we teamed up with an organization behavior professor here at Northeastern to really look at, at what is it in your organization that allows you to make best use of data, that the digital marketers talk to uh, business leaders uh, and, and, and really understand what, what the purpose of the business is and then how their actions can feed into that. Let, let's talk about mm. this. So we'll definitely put a link to your book. When's the oh, book coming out? Is it already uh, out? It is, it is just out. Just yeah. out. Yeah. Okay, we'll definitely mm. put that in the show notes. But also, let's talk a little bit more about that strategy. Mm. Like, what advice are you giving individuals who are reading your book or clients yeah. about how to put together their digital marketing strategy? So it, it, it all starts, you know, with any marketing, right? The fundamentals of human behavior are the same. So, so uh, you, you need to understand who your target customers are. And from that, uh, you can devise a certain strategy. So it's, it's wonderful that every year we have something new in marketing. Right? So that keeps at least me young. So we have, we have new kind of, you know, arrows in our, in our arsenal, let's say. But then, you know, we really have to be clear about what the goal is. Um, again, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, a collaboration I had with, uh, with Poonam Keller uh, was really in, in uh, you know, better marketing for a better world. Uh, so we were helping uh, people raising awareness for certain hospitals or certain issues. And we found something really interesting there. So, so if you're, for instance, a hospital that tries to get awareness for an issue or to get action for an issue, there's very different strategies and digital channels you can use. So, so if you think about social media, right? Social media is great to kind of let's say uh, raise awareness for uh, for getting colonoscopies or, or mammograms, mm -hmm. but it's not very good to get people to actually take the step and actually schedule a doctor's visit. And so there's other uh, there's other uh, channels that you can use uh, use for that purpose. So I think really understanding uh, you know your target uh, customers, how they want to be reached, and and in what way is is very important. I think digital marketing is also great to connect with your current customers. Uh, and so it, when, I, when I joined the PhD, relationship marketing was a big thing. I don't know if you heard about it. But so it was all customers want to have a relationship with companies. And you see that in a lot of digital marketing, the, the daily emails we get. And I'm like, no, I don't want to have a relationship with my car mechanic. <laughs> so, so just understanding the frequency that, that, that even your existing customers want to be contacted with you. And so because digital marketing typically is less costly to you as a firm, right? It costs virtually nothing to send the customer an email. It has become even more important to understand, you know, what is the best frequency? When do people get annoyed? And actually, what is the best frequency? Yeah. <laughs> so, and, 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 so that really depends. So one of the current projects I'm in is the first time that we look at digital billboards. Uh, and so there we actually what find... Uh, so, so the billboards that you pass through, for instance, in your commute, oh. they're not digital. So with, with geolocation data, we cannot perfectly track who was close to it and, and how many times oh. they were exposed to it. And so you put them on and off. Uh, so the cool thing there is you can actually track. And then later on, when people search for the brand that you were, that you were promoting, we had a very nice puppy commercial uh, a few months ago. And, and so we see that it takes a while because, of course, people are in their cars, uh, but then they go online. And, and the more they're exposed, up to 14 uh, exposures, they're more likely to search, and then it declines. 
So if you get overexposed, you're probably thinking, oh, this is just horrible. I'm constantly bombarded with the information. You're actually less likely to, uh, to, to check out information about the product or service than if you're only exposed 14 times. So 14 is the magic number for digital billboards. What about for those <laughs> emails? Because everyone, and now oh, with, with the you know, chat GPT, these things can be constructed so easily and sent yeah. so easily that I'm getting them all the time, and I'm sure I'm not the only person just deleting them. Yeah. Is there a magic number it, there? It, it, it really depends on the customers. I'll give you a specific example. We did this research for L'Occitane uh, mm -hmm. en Provence, uh, which has lots of wonderful offline stores, and they change their assortment relatively often. So they constantly feel the need to inform customers about this. Now, we, so we got data about six countries, including Italy, uh, US, UK, France, and we had data about which kind of customer you were before. So did you buy very infrequently? Did you buy frequently, but not high in what we call monetary value? Did you buy very frequently? Are you, are you both a frequent and a very strong kind of uh, dollar customer, right? And then we also had prospects and dormants. So prospects are people who never bought with L'Occitane before. Dormants were people who used to buy and hadn't bought for at least a year. So we did this analysis across all the countries, and I'll talk to you about the country difference in a moment. But but what was really interesting that that uh, L'Occitane mostly has expensive direct mail and has emails, and they used to send the direct mail to their best customers and the email to prospects and dormants. Okay. And it makes sense to them because they're like, you know, this is our best or most expensive thing. We're going to send this to you as our best customers. So when we looked at at the response, we found the opposite. We found that if you hadn't buy it with L'Occitane for a while then you would just delete the email. You know, it was irrelevant to you, right? And we're so used to doing that now. But if, if, if you got a direct mail and it was beautiful and you're like, oh, wow, I haven't been there for a while. All of the new product assortment looks interesting. They miss me. They love me. Yes, they miss me. They love me. And so we, we basically told them to flip it around. And they did a field experiment in Italy. And they actually showed that our model predictions rang true. And so we, we really kind of changed around how that they address the customers. And, and so that, that paper actually got a practice prize in, in marketing science. And it was just a wonderful why. cooperation. It's a, it's a, it's a great <laughs> finding, yeah. really important one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and then, you know, in, in terms of cross-country differences, so we found a bigger difference between what kind of customer you are than in which country you lived. Oh, really? the, the major driver was like they were un interested in their online and offline sales. And, and, and the extent to which, uh, you know, online sales were pretty much the norm in the country, that was very important. So if, if you happen to live in Italy, Italy versus the U.S., uh, the what extent that you would react to their marketing by actually buying online versus going to their store, that was very much country dependent. But just the fact that you reacted to their marketing, that was much more dependent on what kind of customer you are than on where you lived. Oh, that's such good. Mm. That's such good. So, Kun, what? What about sort of all the changes that we're starting to see um, from like the just AI and the artificial intelligence that's out there? Mm -hmm. Are you seeing that affecting kind of traditional marketing? It is a lot. And, and so I'm very excited about it. Uh, I'm also a bit of a skeptic of some things. Uh, the book that I just finished reading, it's called uh, It's Smart Until It's Dumb <laughs> about <laughs> epic fails of AI, which I highly recommend. It's a short book. Uh, but but so, so what I see happening is that AI is, is used a lot for product recommendations mm -hmm. um, and for basically linking you to people who are just similar to you in your preferences, which I think is very valuable. Uh, what I find interesting is that to what extent does the AI get so good and specifically do consumers trust the AI enough? Uh, for me, AI right now is making a short list 
among all the thousands of options, you know, give me five things I should choose from. And many of the things we saw online, they work that way. So online retailers present you options, and yes, you can scroll down, but, but the AI is, is so that it's optimized for you. And you trust that, yes, these six or seven options are great, but I still, as a human, want to choose between them. And so I'm, I'm fascinated by one is the, the, the switch that we say, okay, here is my shortlist, you choose for me. And we already do that, for instance, in music. So if, if you look at, you know, uh, in Spotify, right, we have certain preferences, but we want them to recommend the music because we don't trust ourselves to really kind of be out there experiencing new music. If you leave it to me, I'm just listening to 80s and 90s music. <laughs> so, so I think kind of to what extent will, will consumers trust the AI enough to, to do that? As, a, as, as somebody who consults marketer, my dream has always been kind of a digital assistant also to a marketer. And so I always like to give voice input in, right? Talking about ChatGPT, for instance, right, I still right. have to type. I want to give voice input in, and then I want, you know, with the headset, with the metaverse, I want the AI to become that consumer for me. So if I was going to say, hey, you know, in Bocconi, I want to have a certain fashion, you know, uh, fashion forward customer, you know, the AI should basically get the avatar in front of me that looks and talks like that customer so that I can interact with him or her and I can basically do that research, which is, you know, it's still not as good as actually talking physically to the <laughs> consumer, I find, but it is the next best thing. And so I'm, I'm really kind of looking forward to, to the AI being kind of that precise uh, and I don't think we're that far away from from these kind of experiences. And that is that then mm. going into the predictive analytics space where that avatar becomes sort of this number of people, and then you're going to just target market to them based on. Uh, it, it helps a lot. There's a, a great kind of uh, paper that just dropped this week by 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 my Harvard colleagues, and it's using ChatGPT for market research. So it says, what if instead of asking consumers what they want, we ask, we ask ChatGPT what, what it thinks that consumers want. And because all of us are expressing ourselves so much online, uh, you know, the paper shows that it's actually not that bad. So you can get a very good first indication. And, and they always say kind of the, 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 uh, the first kind of sin of marketing is always assuming that the consumer is like you. That's the first thing. So if, if, if these new tools, including AI, help you as a marketer to get away from that one, right? So, so if, if I'm digital marketing to a younger audience, for instance, then I'm going to assume that they're like me on a whole bunch of things that they're not. And so if, if AI really helps me to kind of get the first idea about, you know, what, what people are concerned about, I can use that to then kind of get better interview questions when I actually talk to consumers, which I still recommend doing. But I think it's going to save us a lot of, of time and effort uh, to kind of get, get at least the main things that we should ask about um, and, 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 and make sure that we don't have a, have a huge blind spot in some issues. Are any of your clients or, or companies you're working mm -hmm. with using that? Like in the way that you just suggested, uh, or should I, they, they be? <laughs> they, they're already doing that. Um, and so I, I find that that's just very exciting. Um, I'm always kind of, you know, as, as professors, as you know, we, we always have to kind of also uh, put a little question mark around the hype. So last year it was all metaverse, <laughs> and this year it's all generative AI. Does that mean that it's going to completely kind of obliterate everything? No, it's, it's just one more tool in your arsenal, right? I had the same thing. So, so newspapers have been around since, what, 1500? And then when radio came along, there were all these things that newspapers are dead. It's all going to be radio. When TV came along, it's, you know, <laughs> radio is that. I mean, who would not want to be on TV? 
And so the last 25 years, we heard that TV is that. What we see now with connected TV is that the kind of videos, right, that, that people love to see, they're still there. They're just less on broadcast TV, which fewer and fewer people are watching. They're just much more on, on other mostly digital formats that, that uh, marketers can really track, you know, which, which videos are watched for how long, which actions did people take afterwards. Uh, to get more measurability in there, but kind of, you know, the kind of rich medium that is TV or that is, you know, podcast, I, I don't think that that completely goes away because we have a next new big thing. Mm -hmm. It's all additive, right? It is, yeah. It's all additive. I know you have a, 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 a kind of a mission or an, an approach toward, you know, using big data for good. Yeah. Could, you, could you tell us about that? Does that, uh, like, link with SDGs or...? Thank you so much for that question. <laughs> so, so, so yeah, in, in, a, in a presentation on video I, I gave for the, the Journal of Marketing uh, recently, uh, I really talk about kind of the vision of, of an informed, respected, and inspired consumer. And so most of, of, of my academic research is now, uh, you know, helping organizations and companies that are not for profit. Um, and so, uh, you know, they optimize different things. They want donations or they want awareness or they want something, uh, you know, they want your time. And, and that just has been very personally rewarding to me. Uh, the other things what I'm doing, I have a huge project on fighting disinformation, which, oh, you know, I started gosh. in 2016. We could do a whole episode <laughs> just on yeah. that. That's and then we so have the important. whole kind of privacy and personalization paradox that I find fascinating. Uh, on Respected, I'm doing uh, lots of uh, projects now, actually three on, on, on racial inequities in, in influencer marketing pay, in advertising, um, and then on... on um, on Inspired, I'm doing work on, on ESG, environmental, social, and governance. And, and there we find that, that consumers really respond well to things you do for the environment and social, like treating your employees better. Whereas institutional investors are not very much interested in that. Or they all look at the costs and actually get your stock price down. They're very much interested in governance. And so we talk about the trade-offs there and, um, and and what you can better do. But but I, I think that's vision. And so marketing originally developed uh, for for-profit companies, I would say, but has uh, branched out so much more. We have developed wonderful tools that you can use uh, in, in these completely not-for-profit and, and different social fields. What, what are some of the clients you're working with? Oh, so, so, so I'll, I'll give you stuff. a great example of, of maybe a tool, right? So in, in privacy and personalization, we have people who do uh, dog pattern research, mostly sociology. And so when they talk about privacy uh, in digital marketing also, they ask people, how much do you care about privacy? So everybody cares a lot. Uh, economists, on the other hand, they use not uh, stated preferences, but they use what they call revealed preference. So what do you do? And so they say, look, people don't care at all about privacy. Because if you have the choice about paying, you know, $10 more for a website uh, and not allowing three-party cookies versus having it for free, you choose the latter. <laughs> so there's, there's obviously kind of a difference there. And, and they advise the government and regulators. Uh, you know, one of my colleagues in another university basically said to the FDC, look, we have all of this wonderful research that skipping third-party cookies is bad. Advertisers and publishers will lose money. And we have no good research that shows that consumers are hurt. I'm like, well, then we should do the good research. So what is in between? So marketing has developed conjoint analysis. And, and so it grew from marketing, and it's basically putting you in choice situations. So it's, it's instead of asking you how important is privacy to you and convenience, right, that when you check out, everything is preloaded, how important is price, it actually puts you in choice situations. And from these choice situations, figures out how you personally trade off, what the segments are, 
and, and what's maybe some of the better choices that companies could offer consumers that they could, you know, trade off uh, these different uh, ones. And, and so personally, for instance, you know, I, I hate third party cookies. I hate people <laughs> following me around the Internet. I love one party cookies because I want my trusted websites to keep my information. Uh, and and I, I don't have that choice in some of the uh, of the social media companies that I'm a consumer at. So so I love kind of you know, that this research informs both companies and government and also not for profit organizations that are consumer advocacy groups uh, to really understand better uh, what uh, what they can do. Yeah, gosh, that's going to be so important and even more important going yeah. forward, because I don't yeah. think we all fully realize how much of our information is out there. It's I'll, I'll give you one quick anecdote. This was in Istanbul, but I was teaching digital marketing and I was telling the students how much people can figure out just from what you do on Facebook and all legally, by the way, right? So so, so legally and ethically, I don't know your likes on Facebook, but I can see everything you do with, with your consumer idea. Uh, so we had, we, for instance, had a nice research project on people who are, for instance, uh, a fan of, of, uh, of Apple, but then go to the Samsung website to badmouth Samsung. And so how do we know that? Because we see that you have mostly done things on the Apple uh, Facebook side and are very positive about Apple. And then and then the question is, what should then, you know, Samsung forbid that? And we're like, no, because then people start, your, your fans start kind of really uh, um, talk back to the to the to the to the, to the bad mouth, and they also then go to the Apple page to continue the uh, the discussion, and so overall it was it was really good. And so I showed this to the students. I also showed the research of people to claim that they find so many things out about you, right? Who you are, what your sexual orientation is, you know, all of these papers. And I and I said, well, and I see that none of you nineteen year olds are making use of the privacy settings that 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 Facebook does offer you. And they're like, yeah, we don't really care much. And then I showed them the research the next week. I checked their profiles and they have all activated privacy settings. Oh, <laughs> so, so just teaching about it gets people to use the tools that they already have to kind of be, be less nonchalant with, uh, with, with what, uh, what they give. Because we really just yeah. don't know. Unless <laughs> we don't know how much is being, yeah. is being collected yeah. on us. This is just this is such an excellent yeah. episode. We'll have to have you back. And this, okay. is, this is really wonderful. Um, to to end up, what advice would you give global professionals who are out there, maybe in marketing roles, on maybe the trends of what's coming? Oh, next, I, I what would they say, should know? I, I mean, what I really should know, and and what surprised me getting into this field is uh, there's so many measurement tools, and the lack of measurement and thinking about it before you actually do an expensive campaign. So, so I always think, look, what, what you don't measure, you can't really manage. So, so measurement should not be an afterthought. You should say, OK, we have this big campaign. We think it's going to be fantastic. But we're going to put the tools in place to really answer the questions that we know we will have in the future. And so even if, for instance, something is extremely successful, your boss will ask you to do it more efficient next year. So, so do we have the tools to say, hey, we can cut that a little bit and we can turn this thing up? And, and so think about what you need to measure to, to really kind of, you know, did we get through to consumer, did we move the needle, but also did we do that in the most cost-effective way so we have some learning for the next time. So really a focus on collecting data, using data, analyzing I completely data, decision-making. Yeah. This was wonderful. We'll definitely have to have you back, Kuhn. Thank you so Thank you, much. Well. Thank you for being a part of the podcast. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of International Business Today. If you enjoyed it, please share it with your network. As always, we would love to hear from you. 